0: quite the Christmas text, isn't it? I've been asked about that, you know, during this Advent season. How come we don't do like a series on topical things? I just felt led to teach the Bible. Next week, I'll give you a Christmas message. But other than that, I just really felt like what would Jesus be kind of proud of if he came to me and talked to me face to face and it was just to teach the Bible. So here we are and we're just going to teach the Bible. Before we jump into this text this morning, uh, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. We love it. We cherish it, God. And during this time of Christmas, as we remember your birth, Lord, may we remember it for the right reasons. And I ask, God, that we wouldn't get caught up in the commercialization, the secularization, the abuses that have happened with this, with people looking at profits and dollar signs. Um, But may we really look at this uh, as for what it is. You came to suffer And die. And Lord, as we take a look at the text this morning, looking at suffering, even though Christmas is supposed to be more joyous, still find it appropriate. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we unpack this text that we're looking at this morning, let's take a look at Luke, at the Sermon on the Mount. Luke chapter 6, to be precise, starting in verse 22. Just going to look at two verses just as a backdrop to the verses that we're going to look at this morning. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 22 and 23. And the reason why I want to look at this is because Peter was a disciple who lived with Jesus, who learned from Jesus for three solid years. This is not some guy who's giving you a second-hand account. This is someone who is with Jesus. This is the first eyewitness account here. So this is what Jesus said in Luke chapter six, verses twenty-two through twenty-three. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. So we know that Jesus had quite an impact on The disciples, as well as the rest of the world, even today, as the world is mobilizing for Jesus' birthday. And yes, much of it has been commercialized, secularized, corrupted, but the genesis of it all was Jesus' birth, whether they like it or not. And while many folks like and want to think about baby Jesus and all the sweetness around that, and all the joy around that, and all the happiness around that, I'd like us to take some time to remind. Us, that Jesus came to suffer and he came to die. And that's why he was born for us. And sometimes we want to just clean up stories a bit and we just kind of want to look at the happy stuff and we kind of want to look at all the positive stuff. But let's not forget that Jesus' birth was so that he came to die. So when Peter wrote this letter, and in particular this section about suffering, he must have remembered what Jesus said Back here in Luke chapter 6, what he taught them. And he was writing to a persecuted people who was experiencing suffering real time. It was happening to them right then. So this wasn't some what-if scenario for them. He was writing to people who were actually suffering. Now this might not seem relevant to some of us here today because you weren't expecting a message on suffering during Christmas. But I know that some of you may be going through a rough patch in your life, even though you wouldn't necessarily define it as suffering or a fiery trial, as it's written in 1 Peter. So it may be challenging for some to place oneself in the mindset to learn from what Peter here wrote about suffering. But I want to let you know that suffering is coming to your life, and you need to be prepared. I'm not telling you as a prophet of doom. I'm not like saying, like, oh, suffering's coming I'm just letting you know the facts of life, right? Just, this is what it is. And so Peter wrote this, Jesus said this, because if you notice what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, he didn't say if. He didn't say if people have you or if people exclude you. He said when. When people have you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man. It's a matter of when, Peter wrote in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when, not if, when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And some of you may be going through suffering right now and perhaps it is for your faith as it has negatively impacted your relationship with family, with friends, and some of you are suffering in other ways which influences your relationship with God or influences your relationship with other people. And perhaps it's your health or it's some addiction or it's just something that's tormenting you. And my hope is that the Word of God will speak to you wherever you're at and that you'll let us know so that we can come alongside you and support you where you're at. Now back to verse 12. It says, Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now the fiery trials weren't just back in Peter's day, but they remain with Christians as well as non-Christians throughout history and into our future. So how are Christians to deal with these fiery trials? And we'll be taking a look at this question this morning. Now firstly, we know that trials are normal. Everyone experiences them. There's not anyone in the entire world that has not experienced trial. We have suffering. We have pain. This is all normal. Yet we don't all experience the same trials, but we all experience them in some way or in some fashion. And the church and Christians aren't exempt from that. We deal with these things. There are Christians who are suffering somewhere in the world today. We might not get this in the Western church in the United States, but there are Christians suffering somewhere in the world today. But how will Christians and how will the church differ from our responses to suffering from the rest of the world? How is it different? What will our response be? We know that the early church suffered because of the name of Christ, verse 14. We know that they suffered because they were Christians, verse 16. And being that it is Christmas next week, I think that some of us hide from potential suffering. We don't want to identify with the name of Christ. We don't want to identify with being Christian in our workplace or in our schools or around our friends or around our family, and we kind of just shelter ourselves from our true identity, and we kind of want to shade ourselves from that, even though it's Christmas, even though it's this time of year. And you know what? I understand that to an extent. I really do, because... Who knowingly, intentionally wants to enter into a trial? Who wants to do that, right? But it's in that discomfort, it's in that embarrassment, it's in that uneasiness, and perhaps that leads to pain and suffering of a trial, that there is a purpose that God has for us to identify with the name of Christ and to identify as a Christian. And the thing is, we won't gain that perspective if we shy away from the name of Christ, if we shy away from from identifying ourselves as Christians. It's not the pain and the suffering in itself that we desire, right? That's just kind of sadistic. That's just kind of not a good thing. Like, if you like doing that, that's not a good thing. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James wrote this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There's a perspective to be gained and a purpose to the pain and the suffering endured for the name of Christ and for Christians. For steadfastness to have its full effect, to lead us to perfection and completion, lacking nothing. That it's more than saying Jesus was a real person who lived 2,000 years ago and we're celebrating his birth next week because he was a really, really cool dude. Right? He's our savior. He's promised that he's coming again, that there's more than this, right? It's more than being a priester. For those of you who aren't familiar with that, those are the people that only show up during Christmas and Easter, priesters. <laughs> and now if that's you, no judgment. In fact, I'll take you out to lunch. Okay. You come on out. We're gonna go out to lunch and talk about your creasterism. all right? <laughs> but we invite you to come every week to worship Jesus because it's not just about Christmas. It's not just about Easter, right? Pain and suffering were heavily involved in Christmas and Easter, which is why we're gonna talk about this and not about like sleigh bells and jingle bells and things like that. But anyway, Christmas is around the corner. Are we going to water down our faith? Are we going to dilute our testimony as Christians? Are we going to dilute the name of Jesus Christ? Is that why early Christians went through the pain and suffering of the early church? Is that why they endured what they did? So that we can buy a lot of stuff and give it away? Is that what Jesus died for? Is that what Peter died for? And if you have the courage to identify yourself as a Christian with the name of Christ, even during Christmas, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that will come with it. Now why did Peter write, do not be surprised? Well, if Jews were reading Peter's letter, they wouldn't be surprised. They'd been persecuted and suffering for millenniums. So this wasn't something new for Jews who came into faith in Jesus. But what if they weren't Jewish? What if they were Gentiles who weren't familiar with persecution? What if they were people who thought that once they became Christians, everything was going to be better? Because God was going to be in my life and Jesus was going to be in my life. So everything in my life is going to be better. And so they came to faith in Jesus and they got baptized and they started fellowshipping and worshipping with other Christians. But then, not much changed. Things were still pretty bad for them, right? The financial situations didn't change. Relationships didn't change. Things were still pretty bad. And so Jesus knew what it meant to be persecuted for their beliefs. And Jews knew what it meant to be persecuted for their beliefs, but what about these Gentiles who thought like, hey man, if if I dedicate my life to Christ, if I identify with the name of Jesus and I become a Christian, everything's going to be better. No, not necessarily. Not really. And so Jews knew this and were like, yeah, it's no big, yeah, things aren't going to get better for us. We just believe in Jesus. And spiritually, everything's better for us, but it doesn't change our circumstances. It doesn't mean like, you bad Romans, stop persecuting us. They're not going to stop. They're still going to throw you in jail, right? And so Jews knew this. How do they know this? Because you go back to the Old Testament, to the time of Moses, and you look at how badly the Jews were persecuted and suffering, enduring for their beliefs, but then The Gentiles who came to faith into Jesus, they're not familiar with this. They don't have generations upon generations who who know how to deal with this pain, this suffering, this trial. And so a lot of the new Gentile believers thought that a relationship with Jesus would change everything for the better. Just like a lot of Christians today. They become believers and they think everything in their life is going to change. And to an extent, it does. It does. Right? Your mindset changes. Your mind is transformed. Your heart is transformed. You are a different person. But all the circumstances in your life that have been created in your life, that marriage problem that you've been having, your husband doesn't necessarily just become poof, the frog to the prince. Honey, can I make you breakfast in bed? Who are you? It doesn't change those things. That credit card debt that you have mounting the tens of thousands of dollars, the creditor doesn't just call and say, you know what, I heard you became a Christian. <laughs> and it's all gone. We're gonna wipe it all away. That's student debt. Student loan debt. I hear a lot of like shrieks and stuff like that. Cause I know. It doesn't disappear. Once you become a Christian, I wish it did, that would sell. Okay. <laughs> Become a Christian today! Student loans wiped away! You'd be coming, people coming in droves. That'd be awesome. But it doesn't just happen like that. Many people think that coming into a relationship with Jesus means, oh man, hey, everything's great, hey, and we're going to move forward. Spiritually, absolutely. In your mind, internally, absolutely. But those external things that have been created around you, the financial problems are still there. Your marital problems are probably still there unless both of you come to Christ and he transforms both of you and then both of you move forward towards Jesus. But if one of you is lingering behind, probably not. Health problems, probably still going to be there. Sometimes there's the gift of healing and miraculously you're healed of stuff, but probably not. And it's not that God can't do it. There's a trial for us to experience. There's a suffering, there's a pain, that there's a greater reason as to why we're going through the things we're going through and then as a christian it's kind of like a bummer deal because then there's another layer of persecution and trial and pain and suffering that comes along with being a christian probably unless you're in the bible belt or something but in the bay area definitely if you say you're a christian in the bay area you are a christian Because otherwise, you wouldn't identify that. Why? You're, ooh, you're what? I mean, you might as well have like avian bird flu or something. Like, that's not cool. You're a what? And to tell people, you know, I'm a Christian, that's not a fun thing around here. But some people approach Christianity as though it's some sort of superstition. Like, it's gonna make me wealthy, it's gonna make me healthy. It's going to make me smart. It's going to make me do all these things. If I become a Christian, God's going to bless me with all this stuff. And that's not true. Your trials, your pain, your suffering, it doesn't just suddenly disappear once you become a Christian. Things you once enjoyed, actually, right? Things you once enjoyed aren't that enjoyable anymore. And the people you used to hang with and you used to do some things with, that stuff isn't fun with them anymore. And the people used to hang out with don't think you're that fun anymore either. And so it's the identification with the name of Christ, the identification with being a Christian, it can be painful. To tell people that everything in their life will be better if they become a Christian is simply just not true. That's not true. That's more of a superstitious, wishful thinking than it is a true identifying with Jesus Being a disciple of Jesus, being a follower of Jesus, doesn't guarantee you freedom from pain. Doesn't guarantee you freedom from suffering. Doesn't guarantee you wealth, health, a spouse, children, or anything else that you think will make you happy. Doesn't guarantee any of that. What you are guaranteed with is Jesus. He's with you. You're guaranteed a relationship with him. To walk with him for eternity that He's going to be with you through thick and thin, through your suffering, through your pain. He's there with you. He will never leave your side. And if we look at Jesus, who do we see? How do we see Him live? What do we see Him experiencing during His life? Do you see, do you read the absence of suffering, pain, or trials in Jesus? Throughout the Bible, do you read that? Do you see that anywhere? Is that biblical? It's not, right? Then, why in the world would anyone think or tell people that a life with Jesus is going to be absent of suffering, pain, or trials? It's just simply not true. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 35 through 38. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Those were early Christians. And the Western church tends to sanitize all of that. Christmas Jesus in the manger, gentle and mild, silent night, Three kings looking for them. All this kind of like fluffy stuff. And even though many of us have been relatively insulated from persecution and suffering for our faith, the rest of the world's Christians have not been. And who knows what's in store for us here in our country several years down the road. Because all I know is that when I was in school, it was called Christmas break. That's what it was called, Christmas break. And in school, we sang Christmas songs. We sang joy to the world. We sang Christmas songs. In my kids' school, it's not the case. That's not the case. In fact, there was one year there was an assembly and all different types of religions, I would claim, where worldviews were represented, and there was a Christian one. Guess what song we got? Jingle bells. Everyone else got their thing. We got jingle bells. What? And please pray for me also because this Tuesday I'm going into my daughter's school because they invited each person to talk about their kind of heritage and their beliefs and their kind of values and how they do Christmas. We're going to talk. (laughs) We are going to talk. When I was growing up as a kid, there was a lot of references in the malls and stuff. You know, like in J.C. I know like nobody shops at J.C. Penney anymore. When you reach the end of J.C. you turn around. I know that. Back in my day, we actually shopped in J.C. And so there was a lot of things referencing Jesus there. In terms of nativity scenes or whatever. That's not the case today. You go to the mall today and what does it say? Happy holidays. What is that? What is happy holidays? I remember when we were going, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays is like, you can say that on the 4th of July. Happy Holiday. Yes, it is. Right? You can say that President's Day. You can say that on any other day. When in the world does that even mean, Happy Holidays? You know, this fair, they wanted to do the fair in the parking lot, and they wanted to call it a holiday fair, and they wanted to put Happy Holidays and stuff like that. I was like, bah, no. If that's the case, you can't use it. Not doing that. No happy holidays for this church. We're not doing happy holidays here. And all I know that it's getting more and more challenging to be a follower of Jesus here. But the thing is, this is normal. There's nothing abnormal about this. Are we to think that we won't face resistance from darkness when we live in the light? So what's our response? You know, what's our response? Well, firstly, don't be surprised at any of this. This is not surprising, right? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. This is not surprising. There's nothing strange about this. Now how else are we to respond? Verse 13, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. How different is this attitude when experiencing suffering? Rejoice? Rejoice? I mean, are you kidding me? Rejoice in my suffering. Are you serious? Now, here's a more accurate translation of this. Keep rejoicing. Keep rejoicing. It's in the present. It's not something that happened in the past. It's not something that we're looking forward to in the future. It's right now in the present. It's the mindset that we keep rejoicing, even though we're going through it right now. Now, the people that you've met who have genuinely endured suffering and pain and going through a trial, and they are genuinely rejoicing in the midst of that, aren't they incredible? Those people whom you've met who are going through something really horrible right now, and yet you can see it in their eyes, that they're still rejoicing, that Jesus is still with them, that they're not faking it, and you can see it. So we have a response of rejoicing and then we can expect blessing. Verse 14 here, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. And so you see this blessedness in the Jews when reading Exodus, when the spirit of glory and God rested upon them when God met with His people in the tabernacle, when they were kind of wandering in the wilderness, and we see how God met with Moses, you know, that Shekinah glory, and then met, and He was there, and, and how the glory manifested in Moses' presence. And when we are insulted in the name of Christ, we are blessed because that same Spirit of glory and God rests upon us. It's what happened to Stephen in Acts chapter 6. If you look at Acts chapter 6, verse 15, and gazing at him, Stephen, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. He was insulted for the name of Christ. And then in Acts chapter 7, he stoned to death. And who was there witnessing all of this? The Apostle Paul, who becomes a Christian, who also experiences pain and suffering and trials as a Christian, But holding the same line as Stephen, he was insulted for the name of Christ, but blessed because the Spirit of God and glory rested upon him. It's Christmas season. You and I have plenty of opportunity to be insulted for the name of Jesus Christ. And it's not like you're out there looking for it, right? You don't have to be like, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Hey, hey, I'm a Christian. Like going out there and being dumb about it all just be yourself. Be yourself as a Christian, not withholding who you really are in the workplace or in school or around your friends, in your social circles, and just be who you really are. And I think you're going to be fine that you're going to be insulted sooner or later because you're going to just say something in passing like Merry Christmas and somebody's going to flip out on you. Try it. Just say Merry Christmas to someone at Lakeshore Trader Joe's. Just try it. Try it. And the thing is, we don't get mad in return. We don't get mad in return. You are blessed when insulted for the name of Christ because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. Try it. I think really fast someone's going to try to correct you. Oh, it's happy holidays. In fact, it's Merry Christmas. I God is so much bigger than we think. That is so much bigger. In First Peter chapter one, verses six through seven, Peter wrote, "In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The trials that we go through in our life fit into a much, much larger picture. All of our trials test the genuineness of our faith and they will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The world will know that Jesus is Lord and no one will be able to deny it. Every tongue will confess, every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's no denying it anymore. Everyone in human history will be part of that incredible unveiling of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not making light of anyone's trials or sufferings or pains. I know that some of them are really deep. I know that some of them are just kind of hopeless. You don't know where you're going to go with it. And I know it's really painful. It's like me when I compare my daughter's physical pain to her sister's. I have one daughter. She's not afraid of needles at all. So going to get a shot or going to get her blood drawn, is like no big deal. Like, all right, let's go do it. So one time she had some issues going on and they had to get eight vials of blood. She's just a champ. Threw her arm right out there. Was just, oh, great. And just did it. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. And it's just like one after another and after another. And so just changing the thing. My other daughters are normal. <laughs> they're normal. They're like, oh, no, no. They're like fighting. They don't want to go. I'm like, no way this kind of stuff and so a lot of bribery goes into getting their blood drawn or getting their vaccinations like there's a ton of bribery right so when I tell my normal daughters who don't like shots why don't you be like my six-year-old you know it doesn't bother her at all she's fine with it she just goes like that and so my eight-year-old will be like what does that have to do with me this is my arm not that one right like what does that have to do with me so what she doesn't care that's so true and we tend to do this sometimes when we're talking to people, right? Or when we're trying to comfort them or kind of, like, ease their stuff or whatever. Like, oh, you know what? Like, I know you're hungry here, but, you know, people in other continents have no food to eat. Like, what? You're super cold, right? You need a jacket and you're shivering and stuff like that. And Oh, yeah, can you imagine people that live, like, not around the equator? What does that have to do with anything, right? And it actually makes things worse. And we do this as Christians when we talk to other people about their trials and their pain and their suffering. Oh, other people have it so much worse. Or did you hear the story about so-and-so? Who cares? I'm still in pain. I'm still suffering. Personally, I would need something way bigger. I would like to know how this fits into God's plan. Like, really? Like, why? Why? I would like to know that even if I'm not delivered from my trials or my suffering in this physical life, that he's going to deliver me for the rest of eternity. And I have hope in that. That this is temporary. That at some point in my life, there is no more pain. That there is no more suffering. That I don't have to deal with those things anymore. That he's waiting for me. Verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Don't go out looking to suffer by doing evil, right? Like, I really believe in prison ministry, so I need to be an insider. I'm going to rob that store and get in there. You're dumb. Don't do that, right? I mean, do we really even need to talk about this, Peter? Like, why are you even writing? This just makes sense, right, Peter? Like, if you commit evil such as murder or stealing or some other evil, don't think you're suffering for God's sake. You're just committing evil. Okay? And so, it wasn't the will of God for you to commit evil. So don't make these excuses for some sinful activity which has gotten you to a place of suffering and then you say it's for God's glory. Right? Don't go down Temescal, throw bricks down to the buildings and say like, oh, it's for... and then you're suffering like, it's all for God. You're being dumb. That's uncalled for. Peaceful march? All for it. Peaceful protests, all for it. Don't go destroying people's livelihoods. Don't go hurting people. Why are you hurling things at cops? Why are you doing that? Now, let's take a look at this word here, the word meddler. This is someone who sticks their nose in other people's business when it isn't invited and they have no place of getting into the middle of things. Christians are really good at this. Who are really good at Meddling. Yes, share the gospel. Yes, do good. But you are not morality police. Right? You're not morality police. And so we don't go up and down our streets and go talking to neighbors and be like, um, do you illegally download movies? (laughs) None of your business. None of your business. Do you steal Netflix? Because, like, the account is supposed to be for your household, but do you have other people that are on that thing? Oh, my, is that a movie you should be watching? None of your business. Get your nose out of there. It's none of your business. And then you think why people think Christians are freaks. Because you are. Like, why are you doing stuff like this? Because we make issues out of things that don't point people to Jesus. And we start making issues of things. Just look at politics in America. That is the epitome of Christian freak show. We've made issues out of things that don't point people to Jesus. And we are meddling in their lives. See, you and I don't change lives. Jesus does that. Jesus transforms lives. We don't meddle into people's lives. Verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Suffering is not something to be ashamed of at all. Now, who wrote this? This is really important. Peter. Because think about who wrote this. Do you think Peter knew anything about being ashamed? Isn't it cool that he wrote, Don't be ashamed? Because if anyone's to be ashamed in all of Christian faith that records all of their drawbacks and failures throughout the Bible, it's him. And now he's like, don't be ashamed. Who denied Jesus three times? Who couldn't stand up to like junior high girls when they said, hey, aren't you a follower of his? Who ran out on Jesus after slashing Malchus's ear and just took off when right before then like, I will never leave you. They may all leave you, but me never. I am Peter. And ah, he's gone. God redeemed his shame. Completely. Look how Peter turned out. Shame no more. Shame's gone. How many of us let our shame hold our faith back? We want so badly to be accepted by people to prevent suffering for our faith. And so we've become ashamed of our relationship with Jesus. And you're just like some turtle Christian. As soon as something comes out, you go in your turtle. Like, woo. Peter wrote, let him not be ashamed. Rather, verse 16, but let him glorify God in that name. Praise, worship, glorify God. You take a look at Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 12. And I'm going to paraphrase this chapter instead of reading the whole chapter, okay? Because it's like 40 verses long. So the apostles, they were doing all these signs and wonders, and and then all these believers were added to the Lord. And so they were doing amazing things. And so the high priest there, he's super jealous about this. And that's in the Greek, actually, super jealous. And so he arrests the apostles Then as they're arrested because they want to arrest them so that they hold them for trial and they bring them out later. But then as they're being held for trial and they're gathering all these people, the council to interrogate these guys, an angel sets them free. And in verse 20 says, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Right? These words of life. The angel told them this. So then they go out to the temple and they start teaching at the daybreak. They're right there and they're teaching. And so they go back to the prison. They're nowhere to be found. They're like, where in the world did they go? And they go out and they see them in the temple teaching. They're like, they're there. And so they grab them but not by force, because they're worried that they're going to be stoned by the other people there. And so they grab them, they put them there, and in verse 28 it says, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us, Jesus. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. And after Peter continued telling them about how they killed Jesus, the Messiah... They were enraged and they wanted to kill them, the apostles. But then Gamaliel, this Pharisee in the council, wise man, said this, verse 38, Keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of men, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took Gamaliel's advice, but before letting them go, they beat up these guys and then they charged them to not speak the name of Jesus anymore and to not proselytize their religion anymore and then they let them go. Then verse 41, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So how do we respond to suffering and trials? First thing is we rejoice insofar as we share Christ's suffering. Verse 13. Second thing, if we suffer as Christians, let us not be ashamed. Verse 16. Thirdly, we glorify God. Verse 16. And then fourthly, we entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Verse 19. Now before we get to verse 19, let's quickly take a look at verses 17 and 18. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? These are questions for us to think about and to talk to God about, especially in light that this is Christmas and people are probably kind of more open to it, I would think. Right? Christians tend to have more visitors, we have more priesters during this time of year. So, This is a good time to talk about this stuff, to pray about this stuff. And so these questions help us to think about how we're going to live our lives and how we're going to follow Jesus. These are good questions for us to contemplate because the judgment of God is coming, and he's going to begin with the household of God. Now, we know that Jesus is our mediator. He comes to our side, and through him we are innocent of the sins that would sentence us to a guilty verdict. And ultimately, separation from God. but Jesus is there, pronouncing us innocent. But what about those who don't have Jesus? Do we go through the trials and the pains of life with Jesus and we are scarcely saved. What about those who are without Jesus? Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 5 through 10. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Pretty solemn words, isn't it? We want to just throw those things out like, oh, God loves everybody. He includes everybody and everybody ends up in the same place and we try to be so... Universalist. You haven't read Second Thessalonians chapter one. Let's wrap up here, verse 19, 1st Peter chapter 4. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. See, God is not just a creator, God is a faithful creator. He's trustworthy. He didn't just create and then just leave. He remains faithful to his creation. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. God is a faithful creator. God is in control. Even in your pain, even in your suffering, in your trials. Lastly, let's not forget to do good in our suffering and in our trials. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator While doing good. You know, sometimes in our suffering it leads us to do evil or it paralyzes us. And you see that happening in our nation today, right? You see that in the riots. You see that in different things that are happening in our nation today. There are injustices that are happening in our country. And some have decided to do evil or to do nothing at all. While others are doing good. Others are doing good. As Christians, we are to do good. And as we bear one another's burdens, carrying this burden of injustice with our brothers and sisters, do good. Do good. Don't do nothing and don't do evil. Do good. And so the goal is not revenge towards those who offended us or who have offended our friends. Or acting out in a way where the bitterness or the anger or the resentment inflicts harm on innocent people or on their property. As Christians who suffer, we must entrust our soul to the faithful creator while doing good. And as Christians, we must choose whom we will serve. Joshua chapter 24 verse 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you will dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now I leave you with this. Choose this day whom you will serve. As Christians, we are to suffer while doing good. There's lots of opportunities for that right now. There's so much hurt in our community. There's so much pain in our community. We have an awesome opportunity to do good. You have an awesome opportunity to identify with the name of Christ and to identify as Christian. We face trials, pain, suffering as followers of Jesus, just as those who don't have a relationship with Jesus. So it doesn't mean that we don't walk hand in hand with the suffering. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve Jesus, choose whom you will serve. Do you want Jesus in your life to walk with you through those trials, through the suffering, through the pain, into eternity, or not? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. God, thank you so much that you are honest with the decisions that we make to follow you or not to follow you. That you don't promise us that everything's just going to be better. That you're just quite honest with how our relationship with you affects us. And I pray, God, that our response to suffering and pain would be in accordance to your will. That we would be able to extend love, grace, mercy, peace to those who don't currently have it. In Jesus' name, amen.